Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, today we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, so you might find your way there. Probably pages are not very worn in your Bible, I would suspect. In fact, um, I hope you had a really nice Easter celebration. Did you know today is Easter for some? Today is the Greek Orthodox Easter. I found that out yesterday when I checked in to get my rental car. Because when you check in to get a rental car, they always seem to ask, what brings you to town? And I said, well, I'm speaking at a church. And so the woman says, what are you speaking about? And I said, I'm talking about the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. But she goes on typing and entering data. And she says, what did you say that was? I said, Ecclesiastes. She said, I don't think I've heard of that one. I said, well, you probably haven't. Most people don't read Ecclesiastes, but it's, it's one, of the, one of my favorite books because it talks about wisdom in life. She said, well, what is it about? And I, well, now I'm put on the, I'm given the short test here. It's about when we don't really understand life, that we should trust God anyway. I guess that's Ecclesiastes in one sentence. And uh, I'm in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which talks about the timing of events in our life and how sometimes maybe they don't make sense, but God has a purpose for every one of them. You ever thought about that? Why things happen? Not just why things happen, but why things happen when they happen? We all do. We all do. I have to tell you, I got an uh, email from, a disturbing email from a friend, mentor, who used to be the president of Washington Bible College, my alma mater, and the president of Capitol Bible Seminary, just retired recently. I got an email from him yesterday, read it at the airport while I was waiting. And he said uh, he has three children, three girls, and his youngest a son. And he says, I regret to inform you that my son, who had studied for his master's degree in Texas, 35 years old, was now studying for his PhD in uh, biblical archaeology so that he could write New Testament commentary, background material. 35 years old, was found dead in his apartment at the University of Pennsylvania of a sudden heart attack. And I said to myself, wow, I'm getting ready to preach Ecclesiastes about God's timing of events and how sometimes we don't understand them. And here is a friend struggling with the death of his youngest, his only boy, his youngest son, at such an untimely age, at the age of 35. Can you imagine that? But you've probably had similar incidents in your life as well, where things have happened that just don't make sense and the timing doesn't seem right. No parent should watch a child die or have to bury their children. <clears throat> so it was very unexpected, very disturbing to get that. And uh, my heart really goes out to him. And it just brings me back to what, what Solomon, King Solomon, is saying in this book of Ecclesiastes. So let's remind ourselves how we should think in view of life's mysteries and life's vanity. Now, the author, of course, is King Solomon, one of probably the richest man in history, and God gave him a special gift of wisdom. He had all the power of his time to do anything that he wanted to do, and he tells us in chapter 1 how life seems to be meaningless to him and just a meaningless, endless cycle of things that happen and happen over and over again, not seeming to have any direction. But he's talking about how life looks under the sun. He uses the word vanity, which is hard to translate uh, the, the Hebrew word 
seems to have the idea of futility, meaninglessness, or uh, incomprehensibleness, if that's a word, incomprehensible. Uh, <clears throat> life is just not understandable sometimes. That's all kind of what the word vanity means. And he uses that word 38 times in the book. So it really is a major idea in the book. But you really can't read the book and statements like you do in chapter one about life being vain, un unless you understand it in light of the main theme of the book, which doesn't come out until the very last verses of the book. And that's that we should live in the fear of God. So his perspective is a limited human viewpoint without God. We read the phrase under the sun, what he sees under the sun 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun means from the human perspective. Over the sun would be God's perspective, right? He sees everything. Under the sun would be the way we, we see things as humans on earth with limited uh, visibility, limited insight, limited knowledge. And so we have to just deal with what we can see. And when we see somebody dying young that shouldn't have died young, we don't think should have died young, uh, that's life under the sun for us. But there is a God, we are reminded, who understands and orders these things and has a purpose for events, even such as that. So let's look at chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first uh, 15 verses, this first session, and then second session. We'll go from verse 16 on into chapter 4 a little bit. He says, um, <clears throat> to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Now the word everything here, I'm sorry, you know what we should do is look at an overview of Ecclesiastes to explain that uh, before we actually dive into it. The theme is declared in the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes, the introduction, and then the conclusion of the theme, where we really, under, really have to use to view the whole book, comes at the end of the book. Uh, since their life seems to be meaningless, we trust God or fear God. And the fear of God is a major theme in the book. Now, the first half of the book, he demonstrates the theme by his ob experiences and observations. Solomon tried a lot of different things and made a lot of observations. The second half of the book is mostly his admonitions, his advice, and his imperatives or exhortations to people, how we should live then in light of what seems to be a meaningless life, but in the fear of God. So, so he says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. The word purpose there means matter or event. So for everything that happens to us, and that's really what time is, time is made up of events, a series of events. That's how some have defined time. It's not just duration, but it's the series of events that happens within that duration of time. Uh, ben Franklin said that time is the stuff that life is made of. It's life's building blocks. Uh, a chunk of life is, is something, something happens as an event or we do something. And all these events become like pieces of a puzzle. And as we live our lives and things happen to us day by day or hour by hour, they're each a piece of a puzzle. And we begin to put them together and they, sometimes we see a pattern, but you know, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just get a piece that doesn't seem to fit anywhere and we don't understand it. It's kind of like a, a toy I heard about a salesman was selling the father and son a toy. And he says, this will teach your son a lot about life. So they took it home and as try as hard as he could, the son could not put the toy together. The pieces wouldn't fit. And then they found out it was an educational toy, and the lesson to be learned was that that's what life is like, teach, teaching your child about life. So at this point, 
Solomon drops his autobiographical style where he explained all of his experiences in life and how he tried to find meaning in wine and women and music and building projects and, uh, and working and so forth, but he really did not find it there. And he begins to make some observations and draw some, uh, make some lessons about life. He knows that life seems futile, and we don't understand all the timing of all the events in our lives. But God has a plan for everything in life. It says here, now notice it says, there's a time for every purpose under heaven, not a time for every event under heaven, but a time for every purpose. Well, whose purpose would he be talking about? He would be talking about God's, of course. Events then are under God's sovereign control. They're all part of his purpose. They're not random acts at all. And then what he does is he goes on to list uh, 14 couplets uh, of opposites. 14 might be a significant number because it's a multiple of seven. Seven stood for completeness in the Bible, wholeness, perfection. So 14 may be significant in that, but a couplet was also a Hebrew way of doing poetry. And these couplets uh, become opposites, as we will see. And he begins the one that kind of defines all of life. There's a time to be born and a time to die. So he begins with one that really encompasses everything else. And what he's, what he's showing here is that he's not denying human freedom, that we don't have any, any free will or say in the events that happen to us. But he is saying that we don't have total freedom. We have freedom to take care of ourselves and take care of our health, but we don't choose the day that we're going to die, generally. So we don't have to- total freedom. And many of these activities then are under God's control according to his purpose. So he says, let's, let's look at them quickly, just one at a time, a time to be born and a time to die. The timing of both of those things are usually in God's hands, aren't they? I always tell pregnant women um, who are expecting, I say, what's your due date? And they tell me their due date. And I say, well, why don't you plan a good time out with your good date with your husband for that time, because that's when the baby's not going to come. And then sometimes you have surprise babies who weren't planned at all, at least not planned under the sun. But God had a purpose for that surprise baby. God had a time for that surprise baby. And then there's a time to die. Solomon said in Psalm 90 that we should expect two score years and 10, maybe 70 years. Uh, and if, you're, if you're, you live a good life or have good health, 80 years, we might, he might have extended that today since our standard of living is a little higher. 80 years. My mom just recently died at the age of 96, uh, buried her in January. Uh, she was just about 96. Uh, that's, that's long life. There's a time to be born and a time to die. But everyone, of course, obviously is born. Everyone will also die unless the Lord returns. The death rate for Tampa, Florida, I found out is 100%. Same as Texas, where I live. He goes on, there's a time to plant and a time to pluck or uproot. And so here this shows that we have a certain cooperation with the seasons of nature. Actually, those can both happen at the same time, I've discovered, because see, at this time of year right now, my wife is planting for her flowers, and I'm plucking the weeds. So they both happen at the same time. But usually they happen in, a, in agri- agrarian culture. You, you plant in the wet, rainy season, the beginning of the rainy season, and you harvest at the end of the rainy season or the fall season, whatever it may be. There's a time. and um, 
that the seasons dictate. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, some of these statements have been really misconstrued by people trying to prove certain points, and they might use a verse like this to, to justify abortion, which is a terrible, terrible thing. Um, they say there's a time to kill, but I'm sure Solomon did not have that in mind at all. What he had in mind probably was uh, a, probably a just war. There's a time to defend your family, a time to defend your nation, a time to kill in order not to, to see more people killed. And Augustine came up with this theory of just war. Uh, there's a time to kill an animal if you want to look at it that way, too, uh, for food. So it's not just on the human level. There's also a time to heal, though. Uh, and to make people whole. And sometimes it becomes a very ironical situation. It doesn't it? Because on the battlefield, uh, if, if uh, an American shoots an enemy and the enemy doesn't die, what do we do? We take him to the hospital and we heal him up. So there's some irony involved in all of this. Uh, or somebody, I re re recently heard of somebody who was sentenced to death from uh, a lethal injection, but he had a cold, so they didn't want to give him the lethal injection until he was better. There's a it doesn't make sense, but that's what Solomon seems to be saying. It doesn't make sense. There's a time to kill. There's a time to heal. There's a time to break down, and there's a time to build up. Uh, some versions read, there's a time to tear down and build up. It re reminds me of uh, maybe a house. You know, before you can build a new house, you have to tear an old one down, or a roof before you put a new roof on, you have to take the old roof off. I, I have a saying in ministry that applies in ministry, last before you build. And here's how it applies. For example, I just got back from India a couple of weeks ago, and there in India, we trained 60 pastors in a new city. Most of the pastors were new to us, so we didn't know what they believed. So we always start off the same way by saying, what do you have to do to get to heaven? And after we, they list about 10 things, we stop them. And then we begin to show them one by one how it's impossible for you to get to heaven by doing that. And because nobody can get to heaven by their works. And then we go, and then we explain to them the gospel, from, especially from the book of Romans, which we're teaching. And they leave with a smile on their face. But we have to blast before we can build. We have to get rid of the old before we can put in the new. Sometimes it's necessary to do that. Reminds me of all the time I spent building my, my children when they were young. A nice clubhouse, nice little playhouse and painting it nice and pink and white for the girls and so forth. And, and then the sad day when I tore it apart, because they were too old to play in it. But then I gave it to my friend who had to put it back up. So there's a time to blast. There's a time to build. There's a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh. Some people deal with depression. Some people deal with mourning. Some people deal with sorrow because of different things that happen. Life can be a roller coaster. A few days later, we can be laughing at a joke or a friend, or oftentimes when I do funerals, I've done four already this year, not this year, but the last 12 months, we're doing funerals and I'm talking to the family and they're usually telling stories and laughing in the middle of their grief and mourning. So there's a time for both and it's appropriate to laugh about stories of our loved ones, especially if we know that they're with Jesus, it makes a big difference. What I found out from my wife having four children in her postpartum period is that she could actually do both at the same time, weep and laugh at the same time. You ladies might know what I'm talking about if you had the uh, postpartum hormonal mix up. 
And then he says there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. And of course, mourning would come at something terrible that happens, like the death of a loved one, a divorce, uh, a failure in life. And, and we dance at our successes. We dance at the birth of a child or at a wedding time. We rejoice together. It reminds me of a, a line from one of, one of my favorite movies, Fiddler on the Roof. Hard to watch when you have three daughters, but Fiddler on the Roof, remember he's talking about the events of life and how life changes, and he's watching his daughters get married off and so forth. And uh, one of the lines is from a song he sings, Sunrise, sunset, swiftly flies the years, one season following another, laden with happiness and tears. I mean, he rejoiced with his family, and then he grieved over them when they got married or married certain people. He goes on to say there's a time to uh, cast away stones and gather stones. Trying to think of this from the perspective of someone in Solomon's time, I would imagine that the time to cast the stones away would be when you're cleaning a field out for cultivation. But a time to gather them might be when you're taking those very same stones and building a wall with them. So the stones are neutral, but they can serve a negative purpose of getting in the way of a, of a fruitful field, or they can serve a positive purpose of forming a border along the field or city. But there's a time for both things. And then he goes on to say there's a time to embrace and um, a time to refrain from embracing. We want to embrace people, to encourage them, to show them our love, and to comfort them. But sometimes we refrain from embracing them because we need to confront them about something. We need a little bit of distance. We can have a tender love and we can have a tough love. There's a time for both, you know, in marriage and relationships with children. He says there's a time to gain and a time to lose. If you're invested in the stock market or mutual funds or in any way, you probably know this to be true. As you watch the cycles of the economy go into recession and lose or prosper as they seem to be now. Um, but there's a time for each. They're cyclical as well. And then there's a time to keep and a time to throw away. There are things that we want to save and to cherish. And there are things that really have worn out their usefulness and need to go. I was well aware of this when I was uh, recently just got back actually this week from my mother's house in Virginia. And uh, we were going through her house and trying to determine what to save and what to throw away. That's a very hard thing to do. seems like she saved every letter I wrote her and every picture I drew her in my childhood. And what do you keep and what do you throw away? But there's a time for both. There's a time when, you, when young parents gather together and collect all the pictures that their children draw them and letters that they write them and cards that they send them. And then there comes a time when it you know what, <clears throat> what am I going to do with this? Or what are others going to do with this when I'm gone? We need to start thinning down and cleaning up. He says there's a time to tear and to sew. So this reminds me of somebody I knew recently who took all the T-shirts from their son's childhood and through his school days and, and took all the different T-shirts and made a quilt out of them. Tore up the T-shirts, but sewed together a nice quilt. There's a time to tear and a time to sow. It's a time to be silent and a time to speak. I'd probably like to say when you're young, you should be a little bit more silent and wait till you have the wisdom and authority and um, credibility 
of age or education or knowledge to speak a little bit more. At least that was the case with Elihu. Remember Job's friend, his fourth friend? The three friends were very bold in their suggestions to Job about his situation. But Elihu or Elihu, however you want to pronounce it, he said, I'm the youngest here, so I've waited to speak last. And then he spoke his wisdom to Job. But he realized that he should just be quiet for a while. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly. Be quiet, lest you be like him. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. There's a time to be quiet. Then the next verse says, Answer a fool, lest he be wise in his own eyes. There's a time to speak. They seem to be contradictory proverbs, don't they? But what it's saying is, depending on the circumstances, you should either let a fuel rage and be a fool, or you should correct him and show him his ignorance. But there's a time for both. Time to be silent, time to speak. There's a time to speak against justice and immorality in our society. There's a time to uh, stand up for what is right. There's a time to stand up for the rights of others. And he goes on, there's a time to love and a time to hate. Of course, Jesus' great command, the Lord's great command was to love him with all our heart, soul, mind. Jesus' command was to love one another. That was his great command. There's always a time to love. We should always love, but there's actually a time to hate. Jesus hated unrighteousness. He hated the hypocrites um, who abused God's law and his word. He hated the injustice that he saw around him and the greed that he saw in the money changers at the temple that drove him uh, to anger. I can't say that it drove him. I think he chose to be angry at the right time and to hate that kind of injustice. Abraham Lincoln said the first time he saw a slave on an auction block, there was a rising hatred inside of me against slavery. And I swore if someday I could do something about it, I would do something about it. So Abraham Lincoln had a hatred for slavery that he did something about. He spoke up about, obviously. Today, we have many things in the world that we can speak up about. Mentioned abortion already, injustice, family breakdown. This whole uh, uh, gender issue that we're dealing with in society. There are biblical opinions, not biblical opinions, biblical directives about these things that we can stand on and we can speak about in a gentle and loving way. There's a time for war and a time for peace. I think Solomon understood the reality of war. He himself had to defend his kingdom at times. He saw his father go to war at times when it was necessary. I can sympathize with pacifists. War is terrible. War is hell, as they say. But on the other hand, the rape of a country is also. And sometimes war prevents the murder of even more people. As terrible as it was to fight and bomb Japan as we did, the reasoning was that it will save millions of lives. And so we go to war today in faraway places to prevent either greater destruction in our own country from the hotbeds of terrorism and the training grounds of terrorism. I can understand that. Um, I think it should be avoided, if at all possible, and only used as a last resort. But Solomon says there is a time for war. There's always a time for peace. There's always a time for peace. Anybody can lay down their arms. In this great Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and they have never been able to come to a peaceful resolution between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And the Israelis insist there's a very easy way to come to peace. If Hamas would just lay down its arms and stop trying to kill us, we would stop defending ourselves and bombing them in return. 
there's always a time for peace. So perhaps you can look back in your own life and see examples of God's timing and how it worked for, for you or how maybe you didn't understand why things happened the way they understood, I mean, the way they did. I could give so many examples, but I remember you know, our, the birth of our firstborn child was just days before I graduated with my four years master's degree from Dallas Seminary. I th- said, what good timing was that? My wife can quit her job now. She put me through seminary with her, by working full-time, and she can be a full-time mom now if she chooses. That was good timing. My second child was born three days after I had a back surgery. I was wondering if I'd get out of the hospital in time, and yet I was able to be there uh, because she uh, thoughtfully waited <laughs> for me to be there. Those are examples of good timing. There's been examples of bad timing also. But what Solomon says here with these 14 couplets, if you notice, he has 14 positives and 14 negatives. You know what 14 positives and 14 negatives equals? Zero answers. Solomon says he doesn't understand the timing of all these things, but they happen. They happen according to God's purpose, and and they happen in a cyclical way, and we can't always know God's plan. We can't always know God's plan. So he goes on, verses 9 through 11. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God has done from beginning to end. He's saying that the eternal dimension of man that, that we long to know we can't know because it rests in the ultimate sovereignty and purposes of God. It was Augustine who said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find peace in you. Well, we do find peace in God and resting in him. This still doesn't answer all the questions about why or why things happen and when they happen. But we at least know that God has an eternal plan for us. So God has created us with this eternal itch to know and understand our world. And it says that he has made all things beautiful in its time. In other words, everything that happens when it is placed in God's final tapestry will look pretty and make sense. If you've ever seen a needlepoint from the backside, it's just a jumble of threads. I remember my wife giving me one for my birthday, and I looked at it, and it was just a jumble of threads. I said, what in the world is this? She said, turn it over, dummy. And I said, turn it over, and it was a beautiful uh, inscription of a Bible verse. God will make everything beautiful in its time. He makes all things work together for good. He places eternity in our hearts so that we long to understand that meaning and that purpose, even though we always will fall short of it. But that means that we can trust the one we know who controls the events in the future of our lives. So we need to be patient. It takes faith to live in this world and to face the things that we face, to deal with the events of our lives. If you're not patient, we get discouraged, we get angry, we can get depressed, we can get cynical, we can get unnecessarily excited. But just remember, times change. Times change. Celebrate today because tomorrow you may be mourning. So 
What he's trying to tell us is that we should enjoy life while we can. Since we can't know God's plan, enjoy life. Verses 12 and 13, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. By God's grace, we're able to work. By God's grace, we're able to earn an income. By God's grace, we're able to take that income and not only pay our bills with it, but actually get two scoops of ice cream or go out for pizza or buy a nice gift for someone. It's God's gift that we're able to do that. So since we can't be sure of the significance of our work in life, uh, don't fret about opportunities that are lost, is, is what I think he's saying. But in rejoice in what God brings along at this time in your life. When the children are babies, rejoice and enjoy them as babies when they're younger, as children, and play with them when they're older, as teenagers. Participate with them when they're in college. Support them when they're older. Babysit for them. There's a time and season for everything. Learn to enjoy the seasons of life. When you were young, you could, you could participate in sports, and you were active, and you had more energy. When we're older, we, we want to sit around more. But, hey, you know what I found out? That gives me more time to pray. I spend more time in my easy chair these days or go to bed a little earlier at night. Seems to give me more time to pray. Just learn to enjoy where we're, where we're at at life. Don't let what you cannot know destroy what you can enjoy. Don't let what you cannot know destroy what you can enjoy. So don't fret about the unalterable past, uh, things that happened to you as a child or as a teenager, things that will maybe will never leave your memory, maybe uh, a tragedy, a death, a divorce. Don't fret about what you can't change in the past, but don't fret about the unknowable future either. Is what he seems to be saying. Everything's under God's control. Don't worry about tomorrow, is the words that we have from Jesus himself. Enjoy life now and plan and balance your living with your future. There's always a question in life of how much do I save for retirement and how much do I enjoy? Well, I can't answer that for you. No, no. I think you just have to use wisdom. How do you balance your savings with your retirement and your living with your dying? And then in verses 14 through 15, he says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which is has already been and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. What he seems to be saying in this passage is that we should enjoy life and fear God because what is, is it can't be changed. And just live with eternity in mind. So apart from God, nothing we do on earth has any significant or lasting value. This idea of fear God is really a key to the whole book. In fact, most of the wisdom literature is based around this idea of living in the fear of God. What does that mean? Not that we live fearfully, but that we live respectfully and reverently and in faith, trusting God because we fear him as one who is is greater and more powerful than we are. And that's why Moses prayed for God to establish the work of his hands. Teach me, Lord, to number my days and establish the work of my hands. So use time, this life, to invest in eternity. 
one philosopher said, the great use of time is to spend it for something that will outlast us. Spend it on something that will outlast you. Love will outlast you. Living well, helping others, giving to good causes, witnessing to someone are all things that will outlast you. And he seems to remind us here uh, that God requires an account of what is past. You can't change the past, so make wise decisions, and God will require an account of it. There's a little bit of question about what exactly is meant there, but, but the idea of giving an account to God comes up later in chapter 12, so that very well could be the meaning. So what do we conclude? Since God's timing can't be known, we should live with eternity in mind. Something a wise man said to me, someone I greatly respected said to me long ago, I'll pass it on to you, and I think it's worth remembering. He said, timing is God's signature on events. Isn't that what Solomon is saying here? Timing is God's signature on events. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. God's purpose. And when things happen, that's God signing off on it. It's his signature on events. Someday we're going to look back and we're going to see his signature on our lives and things are going to, going to make sense. But right now, they're just out of focus and we, we don't see things as they really are. But as time goes on, the pieces start to fit together. But we're not going to see clearly until that day when we're with him and we see him clearly. Then we, we will see life clearly as he sees us. So I started out by telling you about my friend, who just lost his 35-year-old son to a sudden, unexpected heart attack right at the height of his ambitious attempt to minister for the Lord. And this is how he ended his email. He said, God overruled my son's plans and made it clear that he had fulfilled God's purpose and mission for him. My friend had the mindset of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. His son made plans. God overruled them and determined that he had finished his mission, and purpose for him. We don't understand it, but we understand that God does, and we left, leave our faith with him. So, Father, we thank you that you are in control of all things, and your love has assured us that it all works for our good. Thank you, Lord, for the events of our lives. That takes faith to thank you. It takes faith to know that they'll fit together somehow in the future, even when we don't understand it. But thank you for the encouraging uh, wisdom of this passage. And may we use it in our lives and invest our lives with joy in our present moment. Invest it in the future. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace.org at gracelife.org. See you next time.